Hi folks, this is our podcast recorded yesterday in front of a live audience of our Tortoise Shack members. Uh, in order to come along, join the conversation and have the crack when we press uh, stop on the recordings, it's patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack and we'd love to see lots more of you there. I um, want to thank again Harry, Lynn and Colette for their time yesterday and the great contributions from the people in the audience afterwards. It's always it's always the best bit of fun. Um, this week we have a ton of new podcasts lined up. Uh, we have going back to the UK with Professor Richard Murphy who went down gangbusters with our listeners uh, a few weeks ago we're also back to Gaza with Issam Adwan which is going to be very interesting to find out what has happened there to him personally during after his coverage of the most recent escalation uh, those will all be available on patreon.com forward slash tortoise as quickly as I can turn them around there's also four others up there including maybe maybe a catch-up with the uh, man who put the helicopter on Mars. Looking forward to that. So all of those, as I said, for the price of a fancy cup of coffee once a month on patreon.com forward slash tortoise I'll let you listen to the podcast now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for liking. Thanks for supporting. And thanks for telling people. Talk to you soon. Hello and welcome to the Tortoise Shack Sunday special. Today we're joined by the best pole dancer in the country, Harry McInsania. We are also joined by Lynn Boylan from Sinn Féin and none other than Colette Bennett. Good morning, Colette. I'm also joined by my co-host, Mr. Tony Groves. Tony Groves, good morning, Tony. How are you? Well, this week you only got one person's name wrong, so that's a, that's a real improvement. <laughs> Last week you butchered everybody's name, so apologies, Harry. Um, anyway, no, right, I want to just very quickly plug something. Uh, Ballymun Recovery Month is on. Check out hashtag Ballymun Recovery on social media. They have a, um, a Ballymun Recovery podcast going on Sunday, so it's out now. And um, obviously, you know, that's the, the, the they're really talking about um, celebrating recovery, making it visible, and challenging challenging stigmas of addiction and highlighting available uh, recovery options. I'm obviously uh, partial to the lads up the road and the access and the work that all the, the, the volunteers do. So please, please, please do check out hashtag Ballymun recovery uh, anywhere on your social media feeds. The other thing um, that needs to be mentioned uh, before we kick off is obviously the the terrible news overnight out of Tala and the 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 killing of three of three uh women young women children in in, in cases uh, and well like well there's plenty of speculation floating around out there obviously we, we you know people don't want to you can't you can't prejudice any accounts and things like that but all we can say at this stage is that it's it's really a tragedy and uh, um solidarity and thoughts and and everything else with the families and the community around that because it's really really from the information it's very very grim uh, and there's no there's no nice way of saying that at all so um but i do want to say it at the, at the outset on a plus note i did notice in the audience um teresa buchowski is here uh so just want to say congratulations again for your scholarship on the obama scholarship it's amazing to see that uh you're 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 doing that now and we're all very proud of you here we're proudly on the tortoise shack for and proud of you in in the migrant council and all the work you've done so well done teresa and, and you probably weren't expecting me to say that oh no anyway martin back to you if you don't mind 
Yeah, I just want to mention, yeah, in there, there was, uh, from my point of view, you know me, I'm all one track mind, bogus self-employment, RTE, there's offers being made, there's going to be a couple of pieces coming out during the week, have a good read, and I shall be doing little synopsis during the week of what's going on there. So just to keep your eyes out for that as it comes along. Uh, Colette, I think we'll come to you first. This cost of living crisis is getting worse and um, not just in ireland we see in italy they're burning their electricity bills we see in the uk that there are going to be up to two million people without electricity by christmas where are we going what's happening what is this just going to be awful yeah it is um we're looking at a worse cost of living crisis than say after the 2008 crash for example um, where we saw people in dire, dire straits. You know, it, it, there isn't enough being done. And as you say, it's not just Ireland, it's across the board. Um, but there's there's so much that could be done that just isn't. And, you know, obviously one of the major factors for people is their energy bills, their electricity bills, the fact that they are seeing prices absolutely skyrocket. So before any of this, if you look at, say, the, the 2021 EU Silk data, so that's the survey on income and living conditions, they published data on arrears, they published data on uh, deprivation, obviously, and, and the, the 11 deprivation indicators, two of which have to do with, with heating. Uh, 350,000 people before any of this inflation kicked in last October uh, were in arrears or had been in arrears in the, the year to up to the 2021 Silk Survey. That is only going to increase. And what that means is that there are going to be disconnections. Now, for anybody who has a, you know, is on a vulnerable, within the definition of vulnerable adult or vulnerable consumer, then they should get themselves on the vulnerable uh, consumer register if they can at all, make sure they're in touch with their supplier because that means that they cannot be disconnected from November to March. Um, now, there is still a, a moratorium in uh, on disconnections anyway, but just to be very, very sure that you are on it. Um, I believe that the definition of vulnerable consumer is far too narrow. Uh, it involves anybody who has a, a capacity issue, whether through age or through disability or is it needs to be on electricity for, say, life saving medical equipment. Uh, we need to start including things like financial vulnerability in that. Um, because, I mean, you know, we hear about fuel poverty and food poverty. But really, it's just in that big round circle of poverty. People don't have enough to live on and they're making the choices as to what they 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 choose to spend their money on. So if you have 208 euro a week, your spending power now is about 188 euro, 186 euro compared to what it was last October. So you've already lost that. And that's before energy hikes. Um, so, you know, I would uh, urge people to use whatever mechanisms are currently there, but I would desperately urge government to look at start looking at tariff caps. Can I, can I can I I know we're coming into budget season, pre-budget yeah. submissions everywhere. We spoke to mental health reform about what they're asking for. And we'll obviously we'll come to what Social Justice Ireland are talking about as well. But I want to make one important point. That I think is lacking. We spent, and uh, we all remember this, except for Harry, who was too young. Um, but when we came out of two thousand and seven, um, the we were we came into the crash, and we were told all of this austerity is necessary because we must adhere to the fiscal compact of the debt to service ratio and the EU rules. And now we're seeing a situation whereby Ireland is running the largest um, 
uh, budget surplus. It's 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 by it's by far like we've now seen the co- covers over spilling. We're going oh an additional six billion now in in in, inc- in income and corporation tax receipts. We're seeing all of these things, and they're saying, well, actually, prudence and maybe some one-off measures. It does strike me that we we we've missed a trick here by allowing them to to say all of these things. We had to we had to eat austerity during this period, but now we still actually have to have. What I'm going to call austerity by stealth. We're all going to be feeling the pinch in a different way because, but the money is there now. And uh, those EU fiscal rules, we can play within the rules still and actually do more measures to help people get through this period and indeed build infrastructure to stop it happening again. But even in addition to that, those rules can be suspended as they were during COVID, as they can be for any national emergency. If this isn't a national emergency, I don't know what is. It's not you know, dramatic to say people will die because of this. Um, We saw it again. We saw it after 2008. We saw it again. We saw it in the 80s. But in particular, around 2008, there was stuff done in the UK that should have been brought in here and wasn't because data protection was used as the issue, um, where the organisations who were going out to people, particularly older people, um, were able to contact their suppliers and say there is a problem here. We need to do something more for them. There's going to be a rake of self-disconnections, and particularly for people who are on token meters. They're already paying a premium. For many, they're paying a surcharge on top of the token that they're buying. They have a higher cost in terms of their energy, and they can self-disconnect with nobody knowing, with nobody making sure that they're okay, whether they're on a register or not. So we need to be really careful around that and really mindful of it because there are absolutely it is austerity by by stealth we are being asked once again to take individual responsibility for you know a societal problem uh, an issue that is of nobody's you know not, certainly not of, of the individual making and um, and yet we're seeing people with bills that are astronomical that they cannot pay and again it will come down to choices so we will see right can i afford the rent or the food or the electricity it's not about, you know, these cutting back on your extravagant spends. People who are in on social welfare, they don't have extravagant spends. They don't have discretionary income to spend on things. Like I saw um, something recently where they were saying, well, it's going to it'll be about three and a half billion in terms of the, the drop in purchasing power of social welfare. So that will come out of economies that won't come out of economies. That will remain where it is. And in in actual fact, it will look better economically speaking, because what people will do is they will borrow that. They can't afford not to spend that. They can't afford not to spend on their rent, on their food, on their kids, on their electricity. So they will spend it, but they'll borrow heavily for it. And for very low income people, they will pay extortionate amounts for that. So, you know, it it I think you need to keep an eye on the narratives as well around. This is going to, you know, even even the narratives that say this is going to come out of the economy, it's going to be bad for it, because what you don't want is in five years time or 10 years time. Well, actually, you said it was going to be bad, but it turned out the economic performance was great. And the economic <laughs> performance is is great. And and maybe, Lynn, I don't I know you want to comment, but I just think that we can't escape that. And they were seeing continual statements about one off measures, continual statements about, you know, um, we don't want to increase inflation. Um, or, and also, we don't want to scare you know, energy companies. We don't want to do all of these things. I mean, you, you all well and good worrying about market sentiment, uh, but not if you're not if you're um, struggling to put food on the table. Well, increasing inflation is a nonsense. Like if you're if you're talking about increasing inflation by giving people enough to live on, that's an absolute nonsense. You don't increase inflation by helping people to survive. You increase inflation by 
raising incomes to such a level that they've discretionary spend to to buy consumer goods, you know, to buy kind of luxury goods. That's not well, what we're talking about. Here. And, we're talking. I'm going to come to... That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about giving people enough to put the food on the table and keep the lights on. That's not an, an inflationary event. And the likes of these kind of one-off tokenistic payments of, you know, your, your 200 euro off your bill, that's okay for now for this bill. But in two months' time, you're going to get another bill. Where is the 200 euro then? You need something that is far more sustainable and far more long-term for people. I'm going to come to Lynn now in a second, but just before I do, I just want to say that you have a surplus of 3 billion or 6 billion. There's 3,000 homeless children. There are a million people in hospital waiting list. This is not a surplus. This is robbing Peter to pay Paul, and the government which robs Peter to pay Paul can always depend on the support of Paul always. So this is not a surplus. It's a deficit somewhere within society. Lynn, my little rant is over. I'll come to you. Well, well, I'm on a rant as well, Martin, so it's the morning for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just, I wanted to come in because what Colette is saying around um, the energy regulator, particularly in mm. Britain, and pr- this is prior Brexit. So, you know, this is not anyone saying, oh, but you can't do that because of the EU rules. Like the energy regulator in Britain is far more proactive and engaged in the market. And yes, there are concerns and the, the reasons for the energy cap stuff is, is different in that they had a kind of, they didn't um, put in a barrier high enough for energy companies entering the market so that they were you know, robust. But in terms of how, well, how they address energy poverty, it's far more proactive and it's not perfect, but a lot better than what we see within the CRU. And like this predates the Ukraine war. The energy poverty strategy in Ireland lapsed in, in 2019, and I'm like a broken record on that. But the same with the, the energy regulator and the default tariffs. So most people are very familiar with if you remain with your car insurance company, if you don't change, you actually get punished for being loyal. And we've seen huge furore over that and calls for changes about how it's regulated. The exact same system happens in the energy market. If you don't swap supplier, you are put on a default tariff, which is much higher. And the issue is that you have the regulator come on, you have organizations like Bonkers.ie, you have ministers coming on the radio, everyone saying switch supplier is your best way to reduce your costs. 63% of households don't switch supplier. We know that from the, the most recent data we have. And it's been identified by Age Action, by I'm sure Social Justice Ireland, by MABS, by the traveler organizations that there are issues to people switching. One is capacity. One is the fact that a lot of people don't like direct debits because they have to be able to manage their, their finances, particularly if they're, they're, they're strapped for cash. Um, there's other issues around credit rating. So those households are stuck. And not only are they the most vulnerable households, they're then punished by the energy companies for not switching. And the regulator could do what they do in Britain, which is cap that default tariff or insist that the energy companies um, allow people to switch. Another thing that they do, do in Britain is they do collective switching. So they would go into areas or identify households that are vulnerable and go, right, we're going to bargain on your behalf and actually get a lower rate uh, for, for a number of households. And anytime you raise that with the CRU, they go, oh, no, sure, Ireland, we have a very competitive market and you have to be very, very, very careful about interviewing intervening in the market because, you know, nobody likes to interfere and it just drives me insane. So that's my rant, Martin, <laughs> on well, the regulator. Here, here. 
Um, just can I bring that on a piece though, Lynn, because you saw on the front page of the Sunday Business Post today, and I think it was um, two journalists, Daniel Murray being one yet again, covering what's actually, what, what is happening in the energy markets and within the EU and how they're actually changing the policy on on. The what what's how they're linking electricity prices, the gas prices, and 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 how to, to try and stop it spiraling out of control. This is a big change, and and some of it goes goes runs contrary to what we've been saying here or been hearing politically here for quite a while. Yeah, so back in October last year, Ireland was one of nine EU countries that objected to this measure, the decoupling of gas. And uh, so basically, France and Portugal particularly were advocating for this because they have a huge amount of renewables. They're sort of world leaders in terms of renewable energy. And they're paying because gas is setting the wholesale price. They're paying huge amounts of money. So they were arguing for this decoupling of of the two. Ireland was one of nine countries that objected to that. Uh, I know uh, we raised it in the Dáil in November, then in February. And then as recently as June, uh, Rose Conway Walsh uh, raised it again with, with Eamon Ryan and said, look, why is Ireland objecting to this reform of the energy market? We're a country that does have you know, renewables, we're quite good at renewables. We're talking about Ireland being the so-called Saudi Arabia of wind with offshore wind. Um, So why are we not advocating this position? And uh, Eamon Ryan said that he was opposed to the move and that it would uh, deter investment. So where you're looking at Spain and Portugal that have no problem in getting investment in renewable energy are advocating for this. We had the Minister for for Energy saying, no, Ireland doesn't favour this position. So with the committee that we had uh, last week, the Climate Oireachtas Committee, um, we heard Eamon Ryan say he was in favour of it. The night before that committee, Timmy Dooley was on the Tonight Show um, with Rose Conway Walsh, and he was saying, no, no, but of course the government are in favour of this. And in fact, you know, the problem with the EU is we don't always get our own way. So you're like, well, what happened between June and and the end of August? Uh, There's been this huge U-turn. Well, we know what happened if we were really telling the truth. Germany has obviously we've seen what's happened with the, with the Nordstrom um, pipeline. Germany's been filling its boots with as much gas as it can get at the moment as well. That's been saying, well, okay, we're going to protect ourselves. Meanwhile, in Ireland, we've been saying we have to wait for the the EU to act unilaterally, and Germany's going, yes, wait, wait for all everybody to act unilaterally while we fill every single like I have an empty can of Coke. They put gas in it now if they thought it would get them through the um, through the winter. I mean, this is what's actually happening. Can um, I just say I was listening to Timmy Dooley on the radio during the week. And I think it was drive time he was on and he was talking about data centers. And we talk about data centers a lot because they're taking a big percentage of the capacity and nobody can argue otherwise. Um, but his his opinion was that we need data, you know, jobs. We, we have to have that jobs, but data centers don't provide jobs. But then I see today that TikTok are saying that if Ireland doesn't stick to its its data center saturation plan, that they won't be expanding in here. So look, the seven jobs there that we'll do without if we go without a TikTok bloody data center. I mean, where's the sense? Harry, do you see any sense in this? Well, no, it's, it's, but it's that myth of the, uh, I think, uh, the, you know, uh, of, of our economic miracle that we were all taught in school. And maybe this because I'm apparently younger than everybody here that I remember. I don't know if it was the case for you guys, but about the knowledge economy, about that we're just inherently attractive because we have a highly educated, you know, uh, English speaking and now actually very multilingual workforce in this country. But the thing is, is that 
that's not it. And what we're seeing with TikTok and so on is they can posture all they want, but ultimately there are certain bigger things that they want to get out of this. And if they're going to then put all the other jobs, and TikTok do have a relatively large workforce in Ireland working on a variety of different things from, uh, you know, uh, on the sort of service side. Uh, and the engineering side in Dublin are willing to threaten all of that over a data center kind of tells you what the actual game is here and why those companies feel they can do that, but also they feel they can get away with it. I think I don't know if they genuinely want to endanger that, but they, I think there's a feeling that they can get the government to back down if they sufficiently threaten uh, their other jobs and their other positions over having the, the data centers. So I think it's probably like a bit of a bluff on that one, um, but I also don't think the government are really going to change what they're doing, so I don't think it's going to come down to anything. Um, one way or the other with that. Um, I will say one thing on a, on a side note, just when I was, again, younger, uh, again, not as young as you think I am, but uh, flattered by it, uh, I actually worked in electricity uh, on the phones many, many, many years ago. And I thought it was really interesting with some of the stuff that was mentioned, particularly about prepaid meters, because that was something that we were told to offer people who were having difficulty paying. And this is, you know, this is a very long time ago. This is early 2010s. But what you have is a long-term strategy that resulted in locking people into more financially difficult positions. So what we're seeing is the impact of that coming when these things were kind of hidden you had a very small number of people who were or, or sorry a relatively small number of people who were in energy poverty who couldn't pay um or people who say couldn't switch because of things like renters deposits or people who were then put onto flat rate tariffs which then create massive bill shock when they fall out of line with usage what you have is not just the immediate crisis we're having but a result of the long-term methods for brushing those problems under the carpet from supply companies for a very, very long time by moving people to prepaid, by moving people to flat rate, that now becomes unsustainable when those prices go up because they end up paying more in the long run over. It's profitable for them, very damaging for individuals. And what we're seeing is something that was quite small that affected a relatively small number of people now becoming a much, much bigger problem. And the failure to regulate that, the failure to control the behavior, the failure to stop predatory practice um, has now really come home to roost. I think that's an element of that that kind of has been a, a little because it isn't as big compared to the bigger picture, but I think it's kind of lost in that, that it's not just a failure to regulate right now, but a very consistent failure to moderate the behavior of these companies in terms of exploiting people uh, with things like that. And I really think that's uh, just one of the long-term failures of the regulator government when it comes to uh, the energy issues. I mean, uh, like, I mean, and you got all that when you were in the call center, huh? <laughs> no, well, no, thing, I, we, we were, I know. We I mean, like, to, we were told yeah. to do it. That was the thing. We were the people who had to be like, oh, hey, have you considered switching to prepaid? Have you considered switching to all that? You know, then do you want to come in? Yeah, just because I, I raised the issue with the regulator a good few months back about the, the, the premium tariff. So it's, you know, it's it, that thing, it is more expensive to be poor, do you know what I mean? Because you pay a higher rate for being able to manage your bills through a prepay meter. And the regulator said, well, it's a premium product. So therefore, they have to charge more for it. And when I raise the issue of direct debits and the reluctance of a lot of people to get direct debits, the energy company, what her response was on Tuesday was, well, direct debits save costs to the company. So it's only right that they should insist on direct debits. And you're like, you're the regulator. You're the one who's not supposed to be out championing necessarily for the energy companies. You're supposed to be protecting the public and regulating the energy companies. Uh, uh, sorry, Colette, you want to come in there, but I want to make the point on the direct debits. And maybe it's it's apropos. You're hearing a lot of anecdotal evidence of people saying, better cancel the direct debit currently. Because this is where, you know, if I get hit with this big bill, I don't know how I pay these back to school fees or, or how I pay for whatever um, other shock I have at the moment. Yeah, and, and that is it. I mean, the I'm 
ex-MABs and MABs on the policy side and like that, the amount of people who were put on to, and I don't want to say pushed, but put on to meters because they couldn't afford to the, the standard way of payment. They didn't have access. They either didn't have access to bank accounts or they'd gotten in arrears and they were placed on. It wasn't that these are premium products. It's that there's a cornered market and this is all they were getting. It's the same type of deal with the subprime mortgages. You're paying a higher rate because they can charge a higher rate because you which don't are, know where Which are back, by the way, which are back, by the way, in, in some smaller uh, offshoot mortgage providers. I couldn't believe it this week. I got sent a loan offer for someone who was who had had a credit problem in the past and was re- rebundling debt. And it was like, oh, my God, it was like waking up in a cold sweat and it was 2007 all over again. Um, but no, it's, it's, a, it's a really fascinating point. I want to raise one thing, though, and I'm very conscious of, of being a um, white middle class man saying, this a lot of these things we're talking about have been hitting you know pe- members of minority communities already they've been hitting members of, of disadvantaged communities already they've been hitting the traveler community for, for for generations you know we we have to be very cognizant that it's now that it's filtering up the food chain where it's become this issue so you know want to just i just want to call that out can i just before though we we move on to the polls harry can i ask Colette one thing though on the on the pre-budget submission this one-off, um, you know, this stuff that they keep hearing, and it's really effective framing, one-off measures, you know, let's one-off measures. It, it's really clever. Whoever, whoever's in the PR uh, side of it, the house has done a good job there because the public are now going, well, you know, we can't think of this as something we can count on. Same way they wanted us to forget what they did during COVID it supports. But what are you talking about within Social Justice Ireland that, that you know, maybe, maybe deviates from that pattern entirely? There needs to be an increase in income, a sustained increase in income, and there needs to be an increase in infrastructural investment. So they're the two things that we are desperately calling for. We're looking for 20 euro a week on core social welfare rates. We're looking for a move from the national minimum wage to a real living wage. At the moment, it's 1290. It's likely to see 14 plus. Um, But on the other side of that, the reason we have living costs that are so high is because we have infrastructure that is so poor, because we have unaffordable housing, because we have unaffordable childcare. And again, that was in the, the papers yesterday. There was a whole piece in the Times, the Irish Times on it. Um, we've got people paying double mortgages on this stuff. We've got very poor healthcare for the amount that we're spending on it. Very, very poor healthcare. And we, and I mean, I live in, in a, a rural area. There's very little in the way of public transport. There's very little in the way of road infrastructure. And in fact, just going back to a point, so our our budget asks are increases in, for for low-income people, increases in their incomes um, and infrastructural investment that will move, I suppose, the the balance in terms of people's cost of living. But just to look at, you were talking, I think it was yourself, Tony, that was talking there about, you know, you get that pushback of it'll make us less competitive. If we start, you know, interfering with the market, we won't be competitive anymore. We're 11th on the world competitiveness mark or the ranking at the moment. Um, it came out in June of this year. But when it comes to basic infrastructure, now the 63 countries in that ranking, when it comes to basic infrastructure, we are 41st. So it's like that's what's killing us in competitiveness. It's got nothing to do with our tax rates, it's got nothing to do with our, our competitive, you know, our, our competition laws. It's about our infrastructure, the fact that we actually aren't built to be a, a kind of a first world global north country. 
Mm. I'm going to go to Harry and ask Harry how all this good news is impacting in the polls. I'm also going to ask Harry, historically, Harry, have budgets given governments the boost they expect to get from budgets? And do you think this one will be any different? Um, So, yeah, I was to be honest with you, I was a little bit surprised. And as you know, I'm generally quite conservative in my assessment of the polls. but I was actually expecting there to have been a little bit of a bigger impact on the government than what we saw uh, this month. Um, Finna Fall and Finna Gale both down one each and the Greens down two. I expect particularly Finna Fall to have been affected a little more by this. And I mean, look, everything we've just talked about has been cost of living, energy crisis and so on has been huge over the last while. And then you add on to that all of the issues that uh, Robert Troy and so on have had over the last while. And I was, I was actually genuinely expecting there to be more impact. Now, look, as I said before, polls do move slowly. People react slowly to these things. Um, I was expecting to see a little more movement, and I'll be interested to see with the polls later in September where we actually get a breakdown in terms of who's actually moving away if we are continuing to see that. Uh, it is still the same broad pattern, though, you know, Sinn Féin slowly ticking up and the others slowly ticking down uh, over time, which obviously for Lynn is a very good trend to continue. Um, uh, there is some stuff I'll come back to on that, but to answer your second question, like, in recent times anyway not really to be honest with you and again it's kind of a thing where people do need to see the effects you can go out and you can make these grand announcements and say we're going to do this that and the other but by and large people respond to what's happening around them rather than what they're being what's being said to them which is is understandable to be honest with you i think that's pretty reasonable at this stage to maybe be slightly distrustful uh, of the impact of what you're going to see so no i wouldn't expect any kind of miracle from the budget there might be a slight rallying of support but at the end of the day you have a situation where if it doesn't have an impact on people's material conditions, it's not going to improve them. If it does, which I think probably all here a little bit skeptical of, um, then I'd expect we would see some change. But I don't anticipate that it will have a massive impact. I think that these things, what we've seen again with one-off measures and so on, have been very, very short-lived in terms of that impact. So it's difficult to see that kind of really turning things around for the government. And certainly just from the budget itself, it tends to have a fairly low impact on polling. We talk about these things like budgets, leadership changes, all these big media events that happen around political parties. But at the end of the day, it takes a lot of time for voters to react to stuff because people don't just see, oh, a thing has happened. I better go vote for Fine Gael now, or I better go vote for Sinn Féin now. People like make their minds up over a long time as things kind of add up. Well, I mean, uh, Harry, if I can going. push in, I would put it, I'd put it to you that maybe the idea of the landlordism that we've sort of seen continue and, you know, all of these conti- every day, it's someone has to correct the record every day. It's someone has to do, they, they put people knows out of joints much more so than you know uh, the set piece of who's going to be the t-shirt and tarnished uh, in december i that would be my opinion on it that th- these would have the more lingering impact you know we, we're i'm not going to be too impressed by this but you know there's a lot of lot of um people talking about currently whether pascal dunahu when he step if he steps down for a minister for finance should he hold on to the euro group you know seat and, all, and you're I, I, General public don't really care about that, but they do care when they hear, you know, this guy has eleven properties and hasn't registered them. That stuff remains. That that's that's more difficult to 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 um. You know, you're you're not you're not going to be all excited about a fiver off your um electricity bill on an average. I mean, the price cap you were talking about, by the way, that they've kind of talked about, not the price cap, sorry, the windfall tax, working out like at 18 euro per household off their electricity bill over the course of a year, which is probably, you know, 18 euro off uh, an additional, whatever it is, 1500 quid. Ain't going to make anybody excited anytime soon, but 11 properties, that's going to get people's noses out of joint. 
No, I think you're right. Like I said, that's why I was probably expecting there to have been a bit more of a negative movement on on Finifall this month. But again, people take time to it. I suppose a lot of people who are those are most out of joint over this uh, probably weren't that sympathetic towards Finifall in the first place. I think people probably had an idea of what was going on. So I think you're going to see it take time and things to continue to drip and add up and add up in people's minds as they make the decision to move away. Um, I think this is certainly one of those things that will be factored in. I think it's one of those things that, again, just goes onto the pile of problems people have with Finifall. But I don't think even something like this, like we've seen it from this month, isn't going to be that big impact that suddenly results in them imploding. It's going to just be another straw on the camel's back that will eventually uh well will continue to sag downwards if it doesn't completely break at some point and it is worth noting that finifall like were for a good period over the last while like ticking up got very very close to yeah. finnegale we're ahead of them in a number of polls and that is fading over the last few months it is, quite significantly it, yeah we and had discussed that before they were almost neck and neck with with finnegale at one stage they pushed what- ahead briefly but what we're not talking about and what we're not having a conversation about is actually that Sinn Féin are doing well. I know you're in a room there, Lynn, with a very low ceiling, but uh, your ceiling keeps rising and you keep confounding people with how high the ceiling is. Can I, before Lynn comments, that's not a, that's not a, that's a, a, a glamping tent in electric picnic for listeners' benefits. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the ceiling, Lynn? I, I, look, I, I know that awful thing that polls, politicians say about polls is polls are just a snapshot in time. I yeah, mean, no, I, I'm not letting you away no, with that. No, I know. But look, there's de- there's definitely a trend and an appetite for change. And while we're joking about electric picnic, I'm not at electric picnic now. <laughs> but, but I was there yesterday. I got out before it became a complete quagmire. Um, but I think what was really interesting, and it is related to the polls, is the fact that there were two, at least two podcasts on live podcasts on housing at a music festival and they were packed to the rafters. And I think that's where you're seeing that shift and, and maybe it's that it's Sinn Féin are capturing that appetite for change. Other parties that are on the left as well, Jimmy, people will, will look at. Um, but I just think there's an appetite for the, that not Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, just that they've they've run their course, they've, they're have they out of ideas. And I think that's where what you're feeding. But the fact that you would have people waking up on a Saturday morning, having been at a festival on a Friday night and attending live podcasts. But isn't that I think it's very, very successful. Well, I, I believe, I believe um, Alfonso's gobshite bingo was very successful. So, it, uh, but I, it, I was devastated not to win, but I was playing a separate game of guess who it was that said the quotes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh, isn't it also very sad that the, where they will show solidarity is at a 200 quid euro ticket Festival. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I want to make one point. I want to make one point. No, but that, and on that, I just again to plug, shameless plug, the 24th of September, there is the opportunity for people to put feet on the street and show with the Cost of Living Coalition. And that is what's really, really important is to show. And, and that point was made to people in the room yesterday that if you're fed up and you're, you know, if People who are homeless or experiencing really difficult housing situations might not have the energy to go out and march on the street. But everybody knows somebody who's impacted now by housing and you need to go out and show your solidarity. I just realized one of the people who was on stage yesterday is in the audience today. So I'm saying no more. Right? We'd be nice <laughs> to them. But what we will say is that that 
both. Uh, so right now, I think Pat Leahy is going on stage. Luke O'Neill performed yesterday. Dave McWilliams was on as well. Martin, how did you miss out? It's a crusty old white man. Thing. I mean, seriously, the fact I'm that far too to the left for are that. Are you shower. kidding me? You were you would you would play ball in a minute if you gave you fifty quid. And, uh, <laughs> I'd be I'd, terrified. I'd, I'd, <laughs> Harry, am I wrong? Um, Look, look, we're gonna. I just want a couple of very quick things that were interesting this week. Did anybody spot um, Joe Biden saying that the, that that the um, Trumpists are semi-fascists? And Harry, you might have a comment because I don't think you can be semi-fascist. You're either, uh, you know, it's the old analogy, like you're either you're either pregnant or you're not. You know, it's, uh, you can't was, be a little bit pregnant. But it was it was an it was an interesting kind of move in in advance of the midterms. Yeah, well, look, that's the that's the Democrats, America, isn't it? They can't fully commit to anything. But uh, <laughs> no, like I mean. <laughs> The whole thing is, uh, well, look, American political discourse is, <laughs> I mean, as much as we complain about what's going on here, um, very, very bad. But look, I mean, yeah, fair enough. He was right to, in my view, like I actually like that they're being a bit more aggressive. Um, all the faux outrage over it is just, you know, what it is. It was always going to be like that. At some point, they have to start fighting back. Um, I did think it was very funny, the whole aesthetics of the event, kind of leaning into this meme version of Joe Biden that only exists on the internet, uh, and then kept dressing him up in the aesthetics of the dark brand and meme to deliver the, his speech was uh, interesting. Uh, I'm not sure he quite knew what was going on. But look, I mean, this is the thing. At some point, America does have to confront the rise of fascism within its country, which is very much happening both in mainstream politics and in street politics um, in a very, very real way. It's a very, very dangerous um, situation that they're in at the moment, both electorally and just in terms of function. If you look at like all of the protests and disruption that they're seeing at at drag events, at, at, at abortion, set, uh, what do they call them, abortion clinics, uh, what I believe they call them in America, all that kind of stuff. At some point, somebody has to say it, and at some point, they do have to start having a discussion about the direction their country is actually going in, because right now, all they've done is try to compromise, try to reach a sensible, rational middle ground with people who are irrational, and until they actually confront that head-on, they don't even have a chance of overcoming it, and well, look, I might, might be too late at this point, but yeah, like I think it's actually good to call to call it what it is sometimes and you know fair play to him i don't have a huge amount of love for the man but he was right on that one last thing on the on the international scene okay america has it's deeply polarized but luckily now and maybe i don't know if anybody else wants to comment on this luckily it looks like liz truss is coming in she's put together a really excellent cabinet (laughs) by the looks of it from what we've seen um i for one i'm looking forward to us being starved again um by the, by our, the answer, uh, Tony. You have to say that the, the the worst thing about bloody UK politics is it doesn't make us look so bad. Yeah, that's the worst thing. I mean, yet, yet another crime of but the UK is 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 carrying out on the Irish people, making our lot look le- less incompetent. Oh, it's just. I wish we. I wish we could just move. Did, did on anybody? Did anybody see miles. Boris Johnson attending the police raid? Did no. anybody see this this week? So he literally went because he's on Lynn, you're not in your head. He went along as a as a ride along on a police raid, and someone said he's fulfilled his life's ambition of, of watching the police go through uh, people of colour's uh, front door. Because that's what like I mean, it's it's insane what's been carried what's been going on. And now Liz Truss, I I put my hand up. The last time I had John Harris on from The Guardian, I he mentioned Liz Truss as the next prime minister, and I laughed at him. I actually I you can go back and listen to me laughing at him. 
And I texted him this morning and I told him I've a futon and a new duvet for him. And he's welcome to move over here shortly because she's she's going to win and it's going to be it's actually going to be worse. Lynn, can I ask one last question? I know I know we've kept you a, lo- a long time, but do you, do you think that that's just going to make relationships relationship between these two islands much more difficult? Well, look, I, I think suppose the diplomatic thing is to say it's a matter for the British people who they decide to be the leader or their prime minister. But um, but certainly it would be of concern if she continues with the approach that she's taken during her campaign and when she was a, a minister before that. Um, but you'd hope that once this clown show is over and they get down to the business of politics that actually she'll start to I suppose be serious about the, the north and getting the assembly back up and running um but yeah it, it's it's a bit I suppose it's not a good prospect um given how she has performed in the past on hand her comments about the north but look what we need for the island is the assembly back up and running because the However bad the cost of living crisis is in the south, it's the same in the north. And there's money there that can't actually be spent to help people because we don't have a, a functioning assembly at the moment. So I'd hope that she will change tack, but that might be wishful thinking. And that pulls me nicely to where I want to be at the end of this podcast. Is Simon McGar put up a very interesting thread last night about self-injuries and how they were normally stupidity and since the Brits are self-injuring themselves with Liz Truss I said I'd ask everybody on this podcast what's your most stupid self-injury and I will start with Tony to give everybody else a second to think about it you don't even have, like I mean every like look at the state of my finger I, but your it's, toe is worse Tony oh well, okay, I, I broke I broke my toe at a Green Day concert, and then a few weeks later, I was trying to get a spider out of a bunk bed. I broke my finger, and a spider bit me, and I, and now I have I literally nearly lost a finger because I, I, I the, a surgeon said turned to me, and said that has to come off, and I went no 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 no. So so I'm I'm literally fifteen days on horse horse tablets of antibiotics just to bring it down, and it bled like mad because I went into a little fight with a tiny little spider, and he won. Uh, um, so there's Tony's stupid self-imposed injury. Colette will come to you next. What was yours? And don't say children. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the most recent stupid self-imposed injury, because there are many, I have a dislocated bone in this finger because I have only recently learned how to cycle a bike and I went too far and I had to turn back to get to my car and didn't realize I was as far as I was. And by gripping, I actually burst my bone burst in my finger. Were you, you that yourself? scared? I have a gammy finger. <laughs> Were you that scared holding on yeah. to the bike? Oh, oh yeah. Apparently I cycle a bike like a nun. Back ramrod straight and clutching for dear life. Yeah, <laughs> Harry. Now you can just pick the best one, Harry. We don't need yeah. to. Yeah, <laughs> there's, 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 there's a few. There's a few. I don't know which one is more. Uh, there's a good few from when I was a kid. Um, I, I think probably, but I, I think I probably spare myself those and have to have to admit to one when I was an adult and was in fully control of my body and mind. Um, this was a few years ago. I think I was just out of college. I was. Uh, on a night out, I was in the Drunken Fish uh, pub and I went down to the bathroom to use the bathroom. And I still don't know how I managed to do this, but in the process of using the toilet, I managed to punch myself in the balls so hard I had to go home. <laughs> you what? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, I felt like doing it to you, but like, <laughs> Len, Len, I'm quite sure yours is. You're not going to talk that. Lynn tops that. That's front page news. Yeah. <laughs> no, I answered Simon last night. I because I'm known by my family as Calamity Jane. So there's a loss. I have a loss of of self inflicted, and also just being the youngest of two sisters who experimented on me. I have lots of injuries from that and scars as well. But my response to Simon McGar was when I was in Cork many moons ago, um, and there was alcohol involved, of course. And uh, I climbed over a wall to go to the toilet and didn't look. And the wall had quite a large drop on oh, the God. other side. <laughs> Thankfully, there was a, a tree that sort of broke the fall and I ended up down. Yeah, quite oh, a drop. And uh, my friend was going to ring the fire brigade. And I was like, please don't ring the fire brigade because then we have to tell them why I'm here. And that's going to be mortifying. <laughs> so, uh, I, I would say to people, though, check out the thread because there's some amazing ones. One, there was one guy who said he ran out of the rain into a tunnel. The tunnel started to flood. So he said he'd run back outside and got hit by lightning. It was just, I was like, oh my God, like, hang on, Paul Hosford from the Irish Examiner sneezed and, and headbutted the car door and busted himself <laughs> That's open. right. That's, now, I did put up one last night where I did, I was trying to bring a, a, a motorcycle up the steps into a Georgian house because I was getting stolen on the outside, so I was parking it inside, and I used the helmet to keep the door open. And just as I hit the little step, the little gap between the three steps up and three steps up, the gear slipped, so it went straight into neutral. And as I was going backwards, I was thinking, oh, shit, I really wish I was wearing a helmet. But the, the best, and I sent this to Simon very quietly, because I wouldn't really say this, well, I'm saying it on the pod, but I wouldn't say it out loud. When I was 16, rules were much laxer when I was 16. It's a very long time ago. A friend had an air pistol, and I wondered, did it hurt? So I shot myself in the arm to see what it hurt. Yes, it does. It actually hurts quite a lot. <laughs> so that was that. I was can't that judge one. that because we have a one of those collars for the dog that just gives a little. And oh, like no. that, I'm, what does this feel like? Yeah, <laughs> now, that's, that's that's actually belongs on Glow West podcast. So we'll come, we'll, we'll ring Caroline now and get that get that in there. Time, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there, folks. I'm gonna hang on and um, I just want to thank Harry, Colette, Lynn again for their time. It's been excellent chatting to you guys. Uh, we'll hang on. We'll hit, we'll turn off the recording if anybody wants to shoot in a few questions and and uh, uh, or maybe make a few points. Or if uh, uh, Marie Quilligan wants to give out to me for giving out about Electric Picnic, you know, by all means do. Thanks for listening. And folks and we will talk to you all next Sunday Tony and Martin Martin and Tony speaking to interesting people only it's the Echo Chamber podcast subscribe now on Patreon